Good morning. How are you? Outstanding, but improving. Outstanding and terrific, but improving. There you go. There I am improving already. As you correct me, I improve. See that? Thank God for you. So I have a, a different note with my coffee today. Oh, hang on now. <clears throat> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> oh, I like the guitar here. That's cool, the guitar handle. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Hissy Fit Zone. Episode. I like 30. I do. No Hissy Fit Zone. Yeah. This will be episode number 37. By the way, my son Eric turns 37 Monday. Wow. How's that possible when you're only 38? Well, I started, I started young. 37? Wow. That's spectacular. I mean, for your son and for us. I'm not sure which is more spectacular. By the way, I had this thought, maybe, I'd see what you think. You know, this is going to be the 37th episode of the No Hissy Fit Zone. And I'm thinking we should designate one episode to a total hissy fit. What do you think? I don't like it. I don't uh, like it. You I don't know? like it. Well, give me your... But I'm not a big fan of confrontation either, as you know. Yeah, but uh, do a little bit of an audition thing. Do Show me about 10 seconds of a hissy fit. I can't even fake it. No? It's just not in me. You can't act? Oh, I see what you did. Aha. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh -huh. No judgment there. No, no. Well, first of all, I don't like your shirt, and I'm not sure I like your haircut. And that sign behind you needs some color to it. So this shirt, if you don't get those things fixed, I'm out. Hey, take it easy, man. <laughs> okay, enough with the acting. So this shirt, I don't know if you can see this shirt, though. I can. I see some wings and a guitar. So it says Freebird at the bottom. Mm-hmm. There's a guitar, but see what the wings are? The wings are the ly lyrics to the song. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. The only thing is that uh, sometimes I run into people and they have to, I have to sit there for 15 minutes for them to read the whole thing. If I, hold on. If I leave here tomorrow first, right? Yeah. You have to look at your shirt and make sure I'm, I'm right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Get the shirt I'm sporting today. Ringo. My tie-dye from the concert. Nice. So um, here's my favorite quote of the day. I'm ready because I got some stuff for you. Go ahead. Denzel Washington said this. If you don't read the news, you're uninformed. If you do read the news, you're misinformed. Pretty accurate, I'd say. Pretty good, isn't it? Uh, new, new. You know what's funny? I, I remember learning this. <clears throat> news is like we just throw the word around and we all know what it means. But if you stop and think like words mean things, the word news is plural for new. And it was what's new. And that became the news. Uh -huh. But I've always wondered, like, who decides what news is for the hundreds of millions of us to consume? Like. They decide that. 
Ironically, as you know, this story years and years ago, there was a, I think it was a tabloid, there was a, a, a newspaper that was designed to have nothing but positive, good news. And it didn't survive because nobody was interested, which is interesting, I'd say. Aha. So my son, Josh, who just turned 40, I didn't know that you didn't you did mention that the soon to be 37 year old has an older brother, Chapers. Yeah, so he did start young when he was a kid. I don't know what age, but he, he had this thing he used to tell us all the time. He used to tell Terry and I, When I grow up, I'm going to start a newspaper that's all, that only has positive stuff on it. Huh? Huh? I like yeah. the mindset. I like the mindset to that. I was a little late on oh. that. I had a friend of mine this week tell me something was interesting because history was written by the winners. I'm like, oh, I guess that's interesting, <laughs> right? Oh, fascinating. This comes up a lot with my friends and conversations about, I don't, you know, how do you choose to believe? I mean, in terms of like news media, I believe that everyone's got a, their own slant to that. And they're telling you, telling you what they want you to hear and believe. And that goes for all of them. So I saw something of, of, like a drawing of a cave, right? You know how the old in the old days in the cave they they would draw on the walls and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So this is a cave, and the the drawings on the wall were, you know, the uh, the guys with a, with a bow, you know, shooting at yep. an right? Bow and arrows, hunters. Yeah, and it said, never ever ever seen anybody in the, in one of those caves shooting at vegetables. No, but isn't that a whole fascinating thing about, I mean, our culture is consumed with health and wellness, which is a wonderful thing. And people do their research and you hear all of it out there, what to eat and what not to eat and how to eat and why to eat this. And So my friend Tom Toscano and I went uh, for, for three months, we went vegan. How'd that go? Oh, it was a big missed steak. So that's funny. I was at a convention last week in Hartford yeah. for the uh, for the full time job, and this company, what a class act! I mean, it was just class act from start to finish. And on Saturday, it was a Thursday night registration, all day Friday, all day Saturday. So Saturday lunch was at the home office. There's a thousand people there, so at the home office at the break for lunch, you walked outside in the parking lot where all these food trucks set up, and of course everything's free. And it was funny because it was my friend Craig and we were like, we got out of our class, I guess a little late because the lines were crazy. So there was a, a food truck just doing uh, grilled cheese sandwiches and you could put your own stuff in there. Kind of cool. Long line. Pizza, long line. Uh, the taco line was ridiculous. And he goes, let's get in that short line right there. And it was the vegan truck. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I had a, I think they called it Beyond Burger. So I had a burger and he had a buffalo chicken sandwich. And we both thought they were really good. Um, and then we got really smart because this was right. And they said up at building one, this is a big campus, nine buildings. They said up at building one, there's more food trucks. I'm like, well, it's got to be empty. So we hopped in his car and drove, you know, a third of a mile up the hill to the next parking lot. And here was a... Uh, brick oven pizza food truck, uh, chicken wing food truck, and a barbecue food truck. 
no lines. Right. So you made the right choice. But we started with a Beyond Burger, and I've had some of that stuff, and I've always thought it's pretty good. Yeah. So my son Josh, uh, when he was in high school, he had a bunch of friends that were vegans. Yeah. And he was like a total meat eater. I mean, like. So they challenged him one time. He said, "You probably couldn't, couldn't even go a week without eating meat." He said, "Yeah, I could." So you know. He, probably, the, he said, "Why would I want to do that?" <laughs> No, so he comes home and says, uh, "Mom, Dad, um, I'm gonna go vegan. I don't want to eat. I don't want any meat at all. You know, from now on." So we laughed at him because uh, Terry says, "Josh, to be a vegetarian, you have to like vegetables, and you don't." If you don't have to like them, you just have to eat them. So he did it anyway, right? And then um, years go by. And he was working for a company called Naritsu that does those uh, one-hour photo machines at the Eckerd's and Walgreens or something. Oh, yeah. So he was installing one of those units or whatever, starving, and he was going home. He saw Kentucky Fried Chicken. So he called me, Dad, I was so freaking hungry, and I saw Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I went there, and I got some fried chicken. That freaking stuff is unbelievable. He was all excited though. It was like because he was off it for he was off it for a week, so we learned to re-savor the beauty of it after oh, yeah, one yeah. week. <laughs> Funny, huh? My friend Joe, you know Joe, he moved out to Los Angeles a long time ago, decades and decades. But I remember him telling he's a vegetarian. Oh, he, he doesn't eat meat. So I don't know what he, I think he calls himself an octo because I know he eats a lot of seafood. But years ago, he would tell me he would go through the drive-in at. Burger King and get a Whopper, no patty. And so it was like a vegetable sandwich. Right, right, yeah. And it, apparently it was a big thing out there. I don't know. I thought that was kind of creative. And I wouldn't mind being in the car behind him saying, I'll take a Whopper, extra patty, throw his on mine. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to, want to tell you. And we invented the Big Mac, just like that. Two all beef patties, special sauces, cheese, pickles, onions, and sesame seed bun. To all no beef patties. Hmm? To all no beef patties. Oh, yeah. Depending on. So vegans always have foods that are supposed to look and taste like food. Right. Like meat, yeah. Why? I don't know. I think that's, I mean, if you're, if you're, a, like, if you're in vegan, you don't need your food to look like fake, fake meat. So it's like kind of I would think that would turn them off. I guess that's for like that's for their prospecting when they're trying to get people to jump the fence. This kind of looks like what you already eat. So come on over here. Well, <laughs> I was watching this thing the other day about a court case. This this lady killed her husband with a guitar. So she was mm -hmm. in court, and the judge said, uh, first offender." She said, "No, first a Gibson, then defender." Oh, that reminds me of the story about the the golfer who um, killed his wife, and so the police show up and this, you know, he said, "What'd you do?" And he says, "I hit her with my golf club." And he looks at her and she's bludgeoned, and he's like, "Oh my God, you must have hit her ten or twelve times." He said, "Put me down for a five. <laughs> Whoa. Oh. The golfers will chuckle at that. The rest will get complaints. People will say, that's a little off color. 
which it is. I mean, I no question, but a few hundred complaints from our viewership is worth the ten or twelve thousand golfers who got a chuckle out of that one. They're probably telling the golf course today. I used to tell the stupid joke that was um golfer was you know he sliced the the the, the ball so it went over to and there was like a little shell shed shed there or something with the maybe lawnmower or something I don't know what it was but he was all upset because um, the thing was in the shed and how was he supposed to you know hit the ball over there. So his partner said, listen, it's no big deal. See, it has a door on this side, sliding door, sliding door on the other side. So he opens the sliding door, says, you can see the, the flag up there. You, you can just... So he says, oh, I'm not going to do that. And he says, why not? He says, last time I tried that, the ball ricocheted inside out and hit my wife and knocked, and knocked her out. I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> I, t- I told your story this week to a friend of mine about the the book on suicide at the library. Oh yeah, but did you he give him? Did you give him with, with oomph? When you said he did laugh at it, but he, I think he could tell. I don't know how well I delivered it, right. but I think he could tell where it was going by the time I got to the punchline. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't have your facial expression or your eyes to say, "I know you're not going to return it." Yeah, when I say it, I even throw the f word in there. That the that the uh, old librarian said that. Hmm. I can't let you take this book up because I know you're not going to oh. bring it back. Jason, return Jason, return it. We'll just use Jason as a curse word. That'd be awesome. <laughs> wow. That's funny. I was thinking of, um, I was working with a joke yesterday that I was going to put into one of my presentations. I don't I love using humor when I present, but I'm not a joke teller, unless it's an opening joke, which is also very dangerous to do in a speaking presentation. But my next presentation coming up is on October 20th. I'm speaking to a group of people, and I've been asked to put together a whole thing on grief. Grief. And the request came because this person said, this organization of ours that you're going to be speaking in front of, a lot of these people were requesting this because they've lost a lot of friends and family through COVID and they're really kind of stuck. And of course, I'll say yes and say, I'll figure that out. But I'm like, grief. So it might not be a lot of humor in that one. Whoa. <laughs> or maybe they need some humor. So I'm doing a lot of re- work and research and talking to people who are, I guess I call them experts on grief, but I'm putting it together. It'll be interesting, but um, I did. I had some joke run through my head yesterday that I thought I could work into a presentation. Probably not the grief one, but I found myself chuckling. Or I'm like, well, that's a good sign. So this will be funny, but I don't remember what it was, so I can't share it here. It might be on episode 38, but it won't be on 37. <laughs> so I told you about that time I went to a, to a wake. And, um, Probably. So anyway, this guy walked in. Everybody could tell that he was drunk. Right? I mean, he was like, he walks over to the casket. He went right past it. He went over and kneeled down in front of the piano. So he's over there for a while and stuff. And then he comes over to see the, the family. He goes, you know, he looks good. He got uh, a couple of black teeth here and there, but he looks good. Ah. Boom. So this guy shows up at the pearly gates. He's talking to St. Peter, and St. Peter says, all right, you're here, you're not in yet, but can you tell me a time in your life where you were 
completely selfless, where you did something completely for somebody else. And he says, I can, as a matter of fact. I was once in this bar. It was kind of a shady bar. And I noticed there was this woman standing by herself at the bar. And before too long, this kind of group of biker guys started to kind of make some comments. They kind of started to surround her. She was starting to feel a little bit, you know, intimidated. They started making some really lewd comments. There were four or five of these guys circling her. He says, I stepped right in. Every one of these guys was bigger than me. I stepped right in there. I, I tried to figure who the ringleader was, and I grabbed him. And I said, listen, you let this woman walk out right now. Or you're going to have me to deal with. I mean, meet him in the nuts at the same time. And they all kind of parted, and the woman walked out, and she kind of looked back and gave him, like, a thank you so much grateful on her way out the door. And St. Peter's blown away. He's like, this is an amazing, I've been asking this question a lot. This is an amazing story. He says, can you tell me when this happened? The guy said, yeah, just a minute ago. Nice. <laughs> ah! Oh, chuckle, you know, the, opener, the opener that I that I talk about is uh, when you say you know the first time I spoke in public like this I was so nervous you know that one no I was so nervous because you know, people have fear of speaking in in public mm -hmm. it's just so I rehearsed everything I was gonna say I rehearsed how I was gonna say it you know with my voice inflection and everything. I would, when I say something that was important, I'd stop for a couple of seconds for, the, for it to sink in. So I, I had this all rehearsed. Then when I started speaking, within a short period of time, some people started getting up and walking out, and a few others walked out. And next thing you know, most of the people are out. There's like a couple of guys left. And one guy kept looking at his watch and going, <sighs> like, like he was all frustrated. So he said to him, listen, sir, I know you're, you're trying to be polite. Everybody else has left. I know you've noticed that. Why are you still here? And the guy, the guy says, because I'm the next speaker. I've tried to cut all my, my presentations back in time. I used to be very long-winded. It was a problem. I had a guy get up and leave one of my meetings once. I said, excuse me, sir, where are you going? He said, I got to go get a haircut. I said, couldn't you have done that before the meeting? He said, I didn't need one then. <laughs> Whoa. So I was so at this conference in Connecticut. Um, we had a keynote speaker on Friday morning who I always look forward to because, and everybody I'm with knows I have a speaking business outside of this full-time job thing. And so um, I love keynote speakers because I'm, I kind of study it, you know? So I, I try to believe that I'm a better speaker just by watching somebody else. And just the physicality was interesting. This guy walked out, he got introduced and probably because everybody else coming out that morning is inside the corporate thing and they don't know how to speak in front of people. So they always say like, how's everybody doing? And there's a thousand people. It's always like, okay, you know, it just falls flat. This guy walks out and he's kind of walking back and forth. And it was five or six seconds, which is a long time before he said his first word. And he jumped right in, not like, how you doing? He started with something like he started, you know? And I'm like, oh, I like that little pause there. And then at one point, he was kind of had a pair of jeans on and an untucked, you know, button down, untucked shirt, like that new look. I love that. At one point, he came and he sat down on the stage and dangled his feet over the front of the stage, like very casual feel. And I was taking a bunch of notes. And as I'm taking notes on what he's saying, I'm coming up with ideas about what I could use and how I could take that piece and combine that with something I've already got. And so I liked it. 
and he was the last speaker. There was a lunch break. There was a short afternoon session. We were done at 3.30, and we were staying about, the group I was with, I don't know, 40 of us or so, we were staying at a hotel that was probably 15 minutes away. So we jumped on shuttle buses and went down. But we got about a two and a half hour break before going back for the dinner awards banquet. And um, there was a group of us sitting out in the in the back patio area of this, you know, fire pits and stuff at this at this um, hotel. And somebody brought up the speaker and like, what everybody think? And nobody liked this guy. They're like, out of five, I'd give him a one and a half. I'd give him a two. Nobody over two, maybe two and a half. Yeah. And one guy was trying to be, the GM was trying to be like, you know, inclusive. He's like, ah, three. And I'm like looking around going, wow. And like, what are you going to give him? I said, I'm kind of closer to a four. And they looked at me like I had three heads. And I thought it was interesting that I'm the guy kind of studying this guy from doing what he does and getting a lot out of it. Yeah. But from as I talked, there was 10 of us, as I talked to this group, you know, the masses, if you will, they kind of said, I didn't quite, you know, it took them a while to get to his point. I didn't kind of, kind of get, he was kind of almost talking over their heads. He didn't have their attention. And someone said something about laughing or, you know, and, or humor. And, and I said, so if you had laughed more, you would have enjoyed it more. And they were like, absolutely. And I'm like, I learned a lot from right there. Like, I, I love to kind of get deep and I talk about the brain and I try to make it uh, interactive a little bit and very engaging. But I'm thinking I start, I got to start to add some humor into this thing. You know, have people having fun, not just engaged, but having fun, engaged fun. And so it was quite the education for me. And now you got to go talk about grief. <laughs> a lot of the um, speakers that I've uh, enjoyed over the years, and, you know, inserted a little bit of humor there, here and there. And I, and I feel like I do. I like to insert humor, not joke telling, but humor. Um, I just came away from that little air, that time thinking I, I need to do more of it. You know, remember that thing about if you use somebody's quote, somebody else's quote? You know how that goes, right? I love it. <laughs> I you love it. it. You going to tell us? I had, a, um, I had an interesting situation this week. This week, I have a coach who I talk to on the phone, half hour phone call every week. And we've done amazing stuff together over the years. Um, speaking business is one of them. Um, having sold my food business, I mean, big stuff, you know, and I always, so we're talking Wednesday night and I'm telling her about this situation. I always email her that morning, like with our focus for that night's call, 5.30, with a focus for what we're going to talk about. And so I start telling her a little recap from the week before because I was accountable for a few things from the week before. And um, I'm telling her this story and I'm telling her how I kind of caught myself up in something, but I, I was aware of it and I corrected it. And, and she's kind of giggling just in support of the story I'm telling. And she's saying to herself, like, that's my line. That's what I'm supposed to, you know, that's what I, I tell you, right? And so she's amazing. She's terrific. And she said, um, after that, she's like, so I have to ask you a question after hearing this story. And I was, she's kind of chuckling through it and supporting me through it. She said, do you think we've kind of reached the end of our coaching? And I didn't expect it. She's like, hearing what you just did makes me have to ask that question. 
And so then we spent the rest of our time talking about the end of a coaching relationship. And I'm like, wow. And this is my first time I've been in a coaching relationship. So I said, so people graduate from coaching and we had a real cool conversation around it. And the more we talked about it, the more it just felt to me like the right thing to do. Like that just feels right. And we've used that term a lot over the years of our coaching when something comes up and I'll say, no, that doesn't sit or that, that you know, or that feels right. And this whole thing felt right. And I'm like, well, wow. she, she probably figured out that there's not much more she can help you because you're doing so well. that. Uh... Well, and she was asking if that was my perception. You know, she says, listen, I'm not kicking you out. <laughs> I said, no, I get it. I imagine people kind of can come back. She's like, that happens all the time. But. I think we should talk about this based on what you're telling me. And I said, the more we talked, the more I said, this feels right. And so I said, why don't we, so I want to take this week. And so what I've been doing this week, it's only Saturday morning from Wednesday. So I got even more to go till next Wednesday. is just reflecting on our years of coaching and I'm making notes about all the stuff that we've been through. And, yeah. and just to kind of re, I don't know, summarize the entire thing and, and carry it with me as, you know, a tome for my, my life. But it was really an interesting call and even more so interesting between the two weeks because, and even as we were talking, having all these memories of specific conversations we've had and, 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 and specific actions I took as a result and to kind of just spend some time thinking and, and, and maybe just meditating on it and writing down all these lessons. It's fascinating. Yeah, cool. so, so my trainer at the gym, yeah, but crying. I mean, it was just, I said, hey, I can't do this anymore. This is crazy. He says, you did one push-up, buddy. One push-up. Get over it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's funny. Wow. So, um, <sighs> this guy that I know broke up with his girlfriend, Lorraine. Lorraine? Yeah. She found out that he was seeing somebody else called Claire Lee. So the good news is that um, he says that now he can see Claire Lee. Lorraine is gone. <laughs> you know that song? The guy walks into the psychiatrist's office wrapped in nothing but saran wrap. Psychiatrist takes one look and says, clearly I can see your nuts. <laughs> well... <laughs> Man, for not being a joke teller, I'm telling a bunch of jokes today. I like to use humor. I don't tell jokes. I might open up my story, my, my speaking engagement around grief with that one. Actually, uh, you've been, I told you the other day, the last, last episode of the one before that, you're getting, you're getting funny. You're getting funnier. Do you think it makes sense to speak to an audience of people hearing about grief? Start with a joke and get them laughing? If it's the right joke. I mean, yeah. isn't that the most important thing to do? If it's the right joke, I mean, if it, uh, yeah. I'm, I've been thinking about this grief. I mean, grief is a reality or a mindset or both. Wow. One of the speakers at my convention said, pain is inevitable. Long-term suffering is optional. Oh, nice. Grief is inevitable. Well, last weekend I had grief a gig. inevitable. Long-term suffering is optional. I had a gig last weekend. Really? My buddy Peter Grace said, call me up and says, hey, Tony, 
Uh, I have a new um, new duo that I'm, that I'm working with. This lady's really good singer and stuff, and we're we're playing together, having a lot of fun. I, I I used to watch your videos in when you were in a band there, and you always did a good job of those videos. Is there any chance you might come over and, and film us, you know, to, so we could have some videos of us together? Wow! So I went down there and I, I did it. It was, it was cool. It was really cool. So now I had to, you know, it's three hours worth of music. I had to separate each song, set, you know, into separate videos. And then uh, I'm going to put together like a, a promo thing where you take maybe 20 seconds of a song and you play it out and fit into the next one and you do that about, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Seven or eight minutes. I did a couple of those for the uh, for the prior band, and everybody loved it. So now you're becoming a rock and roll videographer. Yeah, what do you think of that? I like it. It sounds fancy and important and kind of cool. And sure, might as well. Tony Cabral, rock and roll videographer. Would you do jazz or just rock and roll? Jazz videographer does not really have a flow yeah. to it. You know what my perception of jazz is? It's for musicians that don't really want to play the, the song right. They just want to make up notes as they go. Oh, boy. We're talking, I, I know we talked about this before, Michael. That thing with the uh, hometown sessions with Sully Erna. Oh, yeah. The one with Nuno. Oh, so this was the Nuno interview. I listened to it, but you watched it, right? I watched, you should watch it, man. It's freaking awesome. I would love to watch it. You know what? Lynn would watch it with me. You know yeah. why? Nuno's in it. Women love this guy. Oh, wow. They love his look. I said this to her last night. I was showing her. Something came up on my, in my, you know, my feed and my phone. Uh, oh, you know what it is? It's, oh, you know what it is? 30th anniversary, like this week, of Three Sides to Every Story. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which you listen to regularly. <laughs> I think, are you still? Is it state, right? Same, same situation? It's it's still stuck in there, but now it won't, it won't play. Oh, now it won't even play? That's too bad. So this yeah. album is an absolute masterpiece. It is nice. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's it's a masterpiece. But there was a picture of them, you know, with this news feed. And, you know, you can take your phone and you can make the picture bigger, you know, this whole thing. And so she zeroes right in on Nuno and brings him right up. And I'm like, oh, and she's like, oh, my God, he's beautiful. So um, besides that, he can play guitar. Oh, he can play the guitar. But uh, one of his things is, um, you know, he has those, those Washburn signature series guitars. He has a new four, one. right? Yeah. He has a new one. The Nelly. What is it? The Nelly. Nelly. You know how... It would That's the name like, of the guitar? Yeah, because it, it looks like a Telecaster, but they can't call it a Telly. So they call it a Nelly. Nelly. Nuno. Nuno's Telly. Nelly. Really? He does, he does a thing where he's playing... Um, I forget who he's with. Some kind of interview. And he was playing, you know, that... Um, I think it's called Midnight Express that he does on acoustic. Acoustic yeah. song? Yeah, he does a thing with the, with the acoustic. I think it's called the uh, Express or something. So oh, his his solos, yeah. Yeah, so he's trying to do that on the Nelly. He says, I've never done this on an electric guitar, so I'm going to try it. He says, I always do it on the acoustic. And he did a great job with it. It was awesome. That guitar is pretty cool. 
one of the things, one of the many, many, many things that blew me away around him and or the band, um, when I was first kind of getting, just listening, you know, I wasn't a fan of theirs back when they were recording those. I, I, it was later on, I found it. And it was one of those, Midnight Express or Flight of the Bumblebee, I forget which one, but one of those guitar solos. The one, it was the one that had the click track to it. The, the, the uh, suddenly you get that, and he's like, and I'm like, wow, that's cool, but he can't pull that off live. This is my own negative crap, you know, like, this is done in the studio. You can make anything sound like anything. I'm, I'm sure he's not doing that live. Right, I go see him for the first time. He does it live every single time. And I'm like, not only is this live, I mean, as clean as can be, it's faster than live than what's on the CD. <laughs> and it's just so clean. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. He's quite a prodigy. But, you know, that, that's an excuse, too. That's just to say, well, he has something special. Nobody else has. He worked his ass off. I mean, I think it was you telling me, like, he was playing guitar 10 hours a day. So I went to see Generation X. Yeah. I think seven times. And uh, well, the first one, because, you know, he'd never done anything like that with, like, all these guitar virtuosos. So he's, he's, he's talking, he's, he's, when he came out, he was talking about, you know, I didn't know what to do with this thing, you know. I, so I went to my... Uh, the guitar god YouTube, YouTube, and see what was going on, and he found this video of uh, some kid that created a medley, a medley of, of Nuno's best uh, guitar stuff, right? Was this? So he just spliced the audio tracks together. Yeah. So he said, uh, "I got." He said, "Wait a minute, I uh, have uh, I have a medley on on, on YouTube of my stuff. My stuff." He says, this. "He was funny about it. But he goes." So this kid, I listened to it, and I said, I'm going to do that. And just so you'll know, if you like it, it was my idea. If you don't sue the kid, I don't care. But he, but he does that one where they, where they do, um, what's that little thing, the timer for, for? Like the click track. It just comes up and he plays over that, yeah. Yeah, but it's like, uh, what, what are those things called? It, uh, oh, metronome? So the, what he did with that is he put the metronome at full, full speed. And then to do that is like crazy. Wow. So it's funny, music, I'm just I watching the clock, I've been watching the clock here the last couple of times, Zoom has ended our podcast for us, so oh, I have yeah. to watch that, but real quickly, last night, I, I haven't talked to Joe yet today, because he's in California, three hours behind us, but JD and the Retro Riders had a really big gig at this kind of big club called the Coach House down in Southern California, but they were warming up for the Robbie Krieger band. Robbie Krieger was a guitar player and songwriter in The Doors. The Doors, yeah. And we grew up, oh my God, loving The Doors. And Joe's like, can you imagine that we're warming up for the Robbie Krieger band? Well, that's crazy. I'm like, this is going to be, he goes, I hope I get a chance to meet him. And he was going to do some stuff in their set that was like a, a respect of The Doors, you know, that kind of thing. But I can't wait to hear what's going on. Um, I stumbled across a Jim Morrison quote this week. It was a picture. And back way back when they were on the Ed Sullivan show, and Ed was like, okay, we need to edit, not edit, but we need to remove like some of your words from your song live because it was the 60s and you can't write. And so they asked that they um, edit out that stuff. And of course, Jim didn't when they played live. And the story goes that Ed Sullivan comes up to afterwards and he says, kid, you'll never play on this show again and you're going nowhere because of me. And Jim says, that's okay. We just played the Ed Sullivan show. 
<laughs> so I'm anxious to talk to Joe later today and find out how last night went. Oh, that's cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, Jim Morrison was quite an individual. Oh, and I love that music. And you know what's true to, I mean, 50 years later, nobody sounds like the Doors. Nobody has, you know, I don't ever hear a band and go, oh, that sounds like the Doors. Yeah, we used to play Roadhouse Blues. People always loved it. There's a band in Worcester called the Curtis Mayflower, original band. And I don't know them, but I know of the guys. And I was talking to somebody, must have been in the band, and I said it was a song that they did, original. That's, that I'm like, man, some about that reminded me of the Doors. And the guy said, that's funny, because the lead singer is a huge Doors fan. Yeah. But it doesn't sound like the Doors. Huh. I kind of like this wrapping up the uh, 37th episode of the No Hissy Fit Zone, talking about JD and the Retro Riders and Jim Morrison and the Doors. Nice. Yeah. And extreme. We got a lot of music going on today. We're going to go write a whole presentation about grief and gotta, humorize it. We got to do a shout out to uh, Cross Country Mortgage. Always. Our sponsor, Cross Country Mortgage for all your mortgage needs. LynnDevin.com. LynnDevin.com. Right on, brother. I love it. Uh, what do you got going on today? Anything fun, exciting? Today? Um, just chilling, I think. Nice. A little rest well, and actually, relaxation. I need to do 14 hours of continuing education before the end of the month, so I might get started on that. Nice. Wow. Just to keep your humor license? No, for my real estate license. <laughs> so every, every 14 years, hours by the end of the month. So every two years, I have to do 14 hours of continuing education. Every and two four. years, 14 hours. So that's like 40 minutes a month, and you've got to the end of the month to do all 14 hours. That's about right. Yeah, but you can't, uh, you can't do it. Nope. You know what that makes you? Human. <laughs> yeah, but you can't uh, do uh, one hour every month or something. That's not. You know, you have to you have to go online and you have to sign up for the thing and pay a, pay a fee and you have to get uh, it done. Maybe big chunks of time. I got it. Yeah. Nice. Well, I got a webinar here at eleven. I got lunch with my niece and nephew, which, as you know, is always a beautiful thing for me. Yeah. Hopefully for them, but definitely for me. <laughs> And uh, the band is rehearsing later on today on a Saturday afternoon. Looking forward oh, nice. to it. Nice. Good for you. Yeah. Very, very cool. My new titanium knee. I'm kicking holes to the bass drum head. But, you know, we'll figure it out. There you go, man. Outstanding and terrific. All right, Michael. It was awesome, man.